Okay, nice to see everyone. So we are going to be discussing the age of the universe. And this is the one that I was alluding to before when I said that in certain things we have from prophecy, meaning from the Torah, information about what actually happened. And then we can have information from scientists that would seem to contradict it. And there's going to be one of two possible things. Either the scientific explanation, the scientists will not be able to explain something that happened through supernatural means. Or alternatively, they will be able to provide a uh, reasonable and even very maybe good explanation of what happened. And it just happens to be that we know that that is not what happened. And of course, that would need to be understood uh, how that's going to be happening. So that second one is going to be the one that we're going to be addressing today. Okay, but before we go there, I first want to point out a tremendous progress that has happened for humanity. Uh, it's been, I mean, we don't know how long before that, but uh, already from Aristotle's, we're talking about, what, Two and a half thousand years ago, right? From Aristotle until about 90 years ago, right? Every um, quote-unquote thinking man uh, believed in the eternal universe. Right? Meaning a universe that has always been. That was the scientific opinion. Or not opinion, but uh, obvious conclusion uh, well-proven hypothesis, right? And um, the reason is because we see around ourselves a very stable world uh, with rules and, uh, you know, seem, things seem to be quite in an equilibrium. So it's a natural uh, assumption that this is how things have always been. Now, it's not to say that no one until 90 years ago ever, um, you know, dug up an ancient uh, you know, fossil or, or that doesn't exist anymore or, uh, you know, didn't realize that, that, uh, that things have changed. But rather, Aristotle himself explained that certainly even in an, an eternal universe, you would still have fluctuations and changes. For example, you know, uh, that, that type of uh, rhetoric is echoed you know, today, oh, you know, the, there's a, a, a whole culmination of really lucky circumstances, and that's why humanity is very, has reached high level of civilization, but just wait, the next asteroid is coming any minute, it's going to wipe us out, the way that it did, you know, the dinosaurs, we have to start all over again, and, uh, you know, just, you know, things kind of come and they go, you have a catastrophic event, and then it wipes things out, you have a restart, and things start building up again, um, you know, the same processes take effect, and, uh, and then the same thing happens again and again, but overall, fundamentally, fundamentally, the, the world is, uh, is eternal. And that comes from a more philosophical understanding, for Aristotle it was a philosophical understanding rooted in the, I think we discussed it, the, the concept of um, that God is himself unchanging, and if he 
wants that there should be a world. I mean, he has always wanted there should be a world, and therefore, um, there must have always been a world. Uh, so that is uh, that was the reasoning that Aristotle um, thought. The other advantage of such a thinking is that it doesn't. It's the same concept, really. I mean, Aristotle is not allowing for what? For an actor, for an active God, for someone who is coming in and, you know, pushing the ball rolling, getting things moving, right? Because there cannot be a event transpiring without a cause to that event, right? If there's an effect, there must be a cause. So if our world came about then there must be a cause for that coming about. And then you can start getting a question, okay, well, what made that cause act, etc. And then, and then uh, you, you, you end up having to uh, admit to some sort of a primary cause that for some reason went and moved, the prime mover that acted. That's what Aristotle didn't want, he, because of his understanding of God. Uh, modern scientists, of course, because... This way, it's a much neater system. It's a closed system, right? You got a box. Uh, how, you know, who created the universe? Nobody. Well, how, what do you mean? Where did it come from? Always been here. That's it. End of the conversation. Okay. So that was a that was a pretty long uh, machlekes, standing machlekes that we had with the scientists, a three thousand year old machlekes, and. Seemingly, within the last 90 years or so, that Machlechus has been settled by yeah, the Big Bang, right? So the Big Bang, scientists themselves have come to finally discover right, that the entire universe came from a mathematical singularity. Right Now, singularity is not just the point that it's something you know, just everything is really small, condensed into a little singularity, means there is no mass. And that means there's no space, and that means there's no time. It means there's really nothing. Okay, now the difficulty with that is that if you have this nothing, what inspired it to go and explode? Yeah, that's uh, that's a... Very big problem now for for the for someone who um, does not believe in creation. Obviously, for you know us, that would be voracious. Right? That would be the creation. That would be a creation event where everything comes from nothing. Uh, I mean, everything physical, of course. Um, that is not again. It's not to say that science actually speaks to this, because science, of course, can't speak to anything that's not physical, right? The physics can only speak to physical things, and the moment you go beyond physical, means you go into a mathematical singularity, there's nothing that can be said. But uh, it certainly smells of a creation event. Now, of course, um, you know, not everyone was super happy about this, uh, so, um, we have the Stephen Hawking, 
who came up with a, what he terms a clever way to get out of this problem. Okay? And the clever way to get out of the problem is by taking an, an extra step beyond um, Einstein's understanding that time is itself, that, that it's not that there's just space and then time is something else, that there's really a space-time continuum. It's, it's kind of can be thought of as a fourth dimension. And then when you do that, so then uh, Stephen Hawking just said, well, all this means, the Big Bang, simply means that if you were to, let's say, imagine the universe in four dimensions, now we can't think in four dimensions, let's strip away one of the dimensions, let's, you know, we'll, pull, we'll pull out height, yeah, and instead we'll insert time or whatever it is, right? Or let's pull out, let's pull out width, instead we'll insert time, and so we have, now we can think about in three dimensions, and the universe will look something like a, you know, like a pair with a pointy end on the end. You know, it's being very, just a point, and then it widens out, and then, you know, let's say, pretend it goes into a circle. Right? Like an ice cream cone. So, it means that uh, if you move, let's say, if you were to move, our arrow of time moves this way, let's say, to the right. Uh, arbitrary, yeah? So if you were to move against the arrow of time, travel back in time, kind of like a, along a space axis, you would get to the, to, the, to that singularity, but where do you go from there? Answers, well, you just kind of make a U-turn around the singularity and go the other way. Right? means it's just, that's the shape, I mean, here's clear, that's the shape of the universe. The shape of the space and time Continuum is as a point. But it does not necessarily speak to a creative event. It means we that we're stuck in time, we're saying, well, what happened before that? Oh, well, there was nothing before that, and then all of a sudden it came into being. He's saying, no, no, it's always been. Aristotle's right. The universe has always been. It's just, it's pointy. What do you guys think about that? Well, I mean, if singularity is nothing. Well, singularity, right, right, yeah. I mean, well, when you come to the point, you get to nothing, right? right. At the tip of the point is nothing. Right, but there could be an expansion or a quote-unquote explosion, even if the... That's what he's saying, there's no explosion. It's just, that's the shape of the universe. And the point is that it's no matter. What? If it's just a point, that there is no matter. Well, everyone has to agree that once you, that there's some, I mean, funny to talk about it, but somewhere beyond the time-space continuum, if you could go beyond the time-space continuum, over there, there would be no existence. No matter, no matter which way you would step off of our, of our universe, again, we're making, by, by incorporating time, so now we have, we have you know, it's, we could think about the universe as like a globe, right? So if you were to jump off that globe, you'd be jumping off into non-existence. Right? So, he's saying that instead of being a, a, a globe, it's a globe with a pointy tip. How does that explain the continual expansion of the universe? So again, so if you go from the tip out, you see it's getting bigger. See? Yeah. It's bigger. So that's right. an expansion. That's, that's just the shape of the universe. Point, uh, no, that's just the shape of the universe. Except that when it wasn't it, expanding in time. Like it wasn't like points in time. You know, like Say again? One dimensional thing like point and... And one time, then you have to get line, not 
No, again, it's it's. Again, again, we have we have we have we have in meaning to say as you move in time from time zero to time one, right? The universe, the shape of the universe is bigger in that time than in that time. He's claiming no. He's claiming this is the shape of the universe. The, the universe looks like this. It's a very interesting thought. But that still implies that there's a limit. It may be a, a the universe is limited, right? Right. But I'm I'm suggesting that even if the, the, the universe has this shape, the shape necessarily limits the expansion to the degree of the shape itself. Whereas whereas it appears, at least from what we know today that the universe is continually expanding in all directions, not just in one direction or another direction. And, and therefore, if that kind of um, limits the value of the explanation of this, no, no, this shape. Again, let's just... I don't want to get too stuck in this. Um, we'll say one more thing and then we'll continue. Because, you know... I'll tell you why I think it's a it's a very weak answer in in a minute, but but um, that one it's not dice. What are you, no, what are you no, shaking no, over there? Turn off unless I shake it. I'll wake up Okay. Uh, again, if we if we were to draw here, let's use our handy dandy board. Okay. So look. Um, Let's imagine that the universe is um, here. We'll do this is size. Just size. We'll just make it over. Just we're not going to talk about three dimensions. Just it's one dimension. Size. Okay. And there's another dimension. Time. Okay. So what he's saying is that you know, that the so, so we we would. Say you know, whatever, I mean, it doesn't make a difference. You know, let's say the universe like this, right? So now, that's how that's how we would graph it. That as time moves this way, the size gets bigger, right? But what what he's saying is really now let's just draw. You want to say there's a that the time that the time, and you know the. Let's say yeah, like this, right? That uh, let's say this is the shape of the universe. That yeah, here is time zero. What we would call time zero because we're moving this, and then this way time is increasing. So as you go this way, see the size of the universe is getting bigger. And it's even maybe it's even getting bigger faster. Let's say theoretically it's even, you know, it, it's it's going exponentially bigger. And then maybe afterwards it'll exponentially get smaller. Uh, like that, right? So yeah, we're seeing it. We're seeing it speeding up, getting bigger, even faster as time moves, right? But so what? That's just the shape. That's how the universe is. That's that's what he wants to claim. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so uh, I, I think the point is the first observation with this is obviously that it's not. Uh, not testable that that is actually the, you know, that's just the shape of the universe. But more importantly, I think is to note two things. It's a you know using uh, the British term, being that he was a Brit. It's a queer thing for the universe to have a pointy edge. 
why would in the world would it have a pointy edge? And even more interestingly, is that the arrow of time, which anyway is another point when you talk about why is there an arrow in time? I mean, why is it that time moves in a particular direction? But the arrow of time, interestingly enough, is pointing from this point. It's a coincidence. Right? That backtracking in time, we walk into the point. I mean, if this is just the shape of the universe, it's a, it would be, number one, a queer shape to the universe, and number two, a serendipitous coincidence that the arrow of time originates in that pointy thing. Again, as a, again you can't prove... You can't prove him wrong, but you can say, I don't know, it looks like a creation. <laughs> it looks, if that's the origin of time, that, that's where the time arrow uh, of time starts over there by that point, and happens to be there's a point in the universe, right? Now you got to use your nose, okay? Is, does, that, does that make sense? Okay, so I, I'll tell you the truth. I did try to uh, go through a book by uh, what's his name, Brian Green, about uh, the arrow of time. I think he left off with Tsarachim. Um, but if you have if you have answers about what is it that makes that there's an arrow of time, then I would be very interested to hear afterwards. But I, I think it's it's a very it's a very confusing subject. What is it that makes once you understand time to be a dimension? And it's very confusing. What is it that makes everything move this way? But um, okay. Uh, how can they say that the, that this is the shape of the universe if time zero is effectively nothing? They're saying that that's where time in that direction has ended. Now that's it. You've gotten you've gotten to the end of time in that direction. So you could go. If you view time as like a as like, as like a another dimension in space, right? So just like you could imagine getting to the end of space somewhere. Now, what happens when you get there? We just keep, you just go around the circle. You're not just gonna fall off of space. You're just gonna, you know, like it's like walking on Earth, right? When you get, what's gonna happen when you get to China? We just keep on going. You you end up back in America, right? Saying that energy already existed at that point. If you if you walk back on that arrow of time and you hit singularity. Energy. You just walk around. That that universe looks a certain shape over there. If you if you go um, touristing around time, if you could find a time machine, you'd see that the universe looks different, different in different uh, time slices. He's not talking origin; he's talking shape. Exactly. That's and, and we're pointing out that uh, although we can't disprove them, but when the shape looks like, like an origin, and when the arrow of time starts from there, then it seems to speak to a creative event. Okay, be that as it may, let's come back to the real topic of the night, which is the age of the universe. Okay, this uh, many people view this as a major problem, and that is because um, scientists using a variety of different dating methods, which is called triangulation, where you come from, whether it be, you know, uh, 
shifts in uh, you know in in wavelength of of, of light coming from distant stars or and uh, using um, you know uh, geometry simple geometry that as the earth moves around the the sun so you can so obviously that that's a pretty wide swing and then you look at the angle uh, of the at different stars and depending on how much that that uh, changes that tells you how far away the star is you can't do it with super duper far away stars but you could do it pretty far like 400 million light years or something like that so so and then that verifies the the, the red shift and all sorts of other things so the points from many different angles they're coming out with these this type of a number 14 billion or so again even they're off a bit but but it's it's not just one measurement they're doing and maybe they're just off on because why is all these other um ways of measuring all speak to the same thing again obviously the moment we say 14 billion years old that means we're talking about from the big bang we are talking about age we're talking about seemingly you know everyone is thinking about it as a creative event but okay uh, they have to have their answer back there Stephen hawking uh, very creative answer, but I think we're still gonna we're gonna pass on that one. Anyway, um, so obviously the Torah gives us a much smaller uh, calendar window. Uh, so the question is gonna be how to deal with that. Um, so again, so this is one of these areas where science has provide a pretty robust argument for what is the age of the universe. So, again, um, like the Rambam said, if you know something for a fact, if you know something for a fact, then you'd be forced to uh, try to reinterpret the psukim uh, to match that, because the Torah is not always so straightforward. Um, if you don't know it for a fact, then you stick with the simple understanding of the Torah. Especially being that the Ramban, right in the beginning of the Torah, Pasa Gimel, and the Ramban is not just a Rishon. He's literally one of the one of the greatest. He's also uh, known to be to have been a Mukubal. He had a, a tradition about the things that he said, and he said that you should know this is a, these were real days. These were seven the same days of creation were real days with twenty four hours comprised of, of minutes and seconds. Uh, just like the days today, he, he literally just he like uh, goes after it. So yeah, so now okay, the Ramban is not uh, it's not a Mishnah, it's not a it's not a, it's not Chazal per se. So some do um, want to take the liberty of saying that the seven days of creation really speak to seven stages in the creative process. They're not actual days, uh, evening and morning that the Torah says. It's not literal, uh, and and there are uh, you know, major leaps in development, quantum leap in development. Uh, I didn't mean quantum, quantum. I just meant qualitative, important. We'll talk about quantum hopefully in a minute, or two, or five. Um, but uh, um, so this would be you know the, the, the decent book, um, Genesis on the Big Bang, uh, something like that. Right? Uh, in the beginning, in the beginning, yeah, I think in the beginning. Okay, it's a lot of interest, interesting th- food for thought things there. Uh, a lot of postulation things, but uh, some 
good approach is that way. I mean, if you're going to go that way. In other words, what you're saying is you're saying, look, the evidence is overwhelming. Um, we're forced to say that the Torah doesn't mean uh, literal days. We're going to go not like the Ramban, not like the Rashi, uh, Rashi and Shas, that is, uh, I think Hagiga. And, uh, okay, we're going to say they're not literal days. They're major movements along the development process. And that's, um, it, it kind of works. There are, there are some problems and th- that are still not dealt with. And that is, it doesn't help with, from modern man and onwards. I mean, seven days of creation is one thing. You could claim that that's like a, I mean, some say, well, look, there was no sun and moon for the, for the, first, uh, for the first three days. So, um, you know, what could it mean? The truth is that many, before explained, there was a sun and the moon, maybe it wasn't visible or whatever it is. So it's not so obvious, but you could, you could take such a direction. Um, but certainly once already the Torah starts telling us literally the years that people lived, that Adam, Adam Marishan lived for, for uh, you know, 930 years and here's how long his son lived, etc. And the Torah is clearly out to um, p- uh, depict for us a timeline that would be, that, that, that's, uh, at, that, at that point you can no longer do that. And there are still a lot of discrepancies. You know, for, for example, um, that, that you know, from Adam Mauritian is, according to us, 5,783 years. And, you know, scientists will tell you that modern man is like 10,000 years old, at least. Right? Uh, so, uh, you know, Adam's like grandchildren already uh, you know, are, are the ones to invent metal or musical instruments, etc. You know, horticulture, whereas that seems to be much earlier. Uh, okay, maybe there's ways to answer it. But that would be one approach. That's uh, maybe the softest uh, approach. Then maybe all the way on the other side, a very extreme approach is, yep, God created an old world. He created this tricky world. It, you look at it, it looks very old. There's all these fossils on the ground. They never existed. Um, Made the stars right away, very far away, and then made it start moving. You know, it's like kind of a uh, got. We're like jumping into the middle of a movie. In other words, you can imagine like it's like a really long movie, and the world was created in the middle of that movie. It's already a whole bunch of things have happened in the movie, but it, they didn't really happen, right? But it's already all being uh, presumed and built in. It's a. Uh, I don't think it's a compelling uh, argument. I think, uh, first of all, it just—it's uh, extremely convoluted that that uh, it would be, you know, that all these different things—you know, burying fossils in the ground, making shifts in light uh, waves, uh, causing you know carbon thirteen to decay part ways, like you know, depending on <laughs> different things. Uh, and all seemingly just to confuse us, uh, that, that's not our understanding of how Hashem operates with us. Hashem gave us seichel, our intellect, in order that we should be able to better to come to know Him, not to trick us and to test our faith. Right? That is a, 
doesn't uh, doesn't not a very compelling argument. Again, you can't obviously can't disprove it. Uh, God could do anything. Maybe he did do that. Um, and but uh, certainly would like to see something else. Okay. Um, so here's a proposal. Different stages of a person's life, um, the body develops differently, right? If, if I were to analyze you today, uh, not knowing that you've changed, you know, the, the body processes, the metabolism, etc., the growth rates, hormones have changed significantly since you used to be a baby, you know, I would conclude that uh, more or less everyone in this room is probably, you know, five to ten million years old, right? I mean, if you think about the rate that, that you're developing now, you know, now, it would take a really long time to develop from, from a single cell to, to get to where you are now, right? How much have you grown in the last, in the last few days? I don't mean width-wise, I mean height-wise. <laughs> okay. Alice didn't find that joke funny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so the point is that scientists, everything they're saying has an inbuilt assumption. And again, it's a reasonable assumption, but the assumption is that everything is assumed to be the same. The truth is that they themselves admit that due to the Big Bang, that not everything has stayed the same. I think that they, they write that the four fundamental forces of physics used to be one Right, right near to the tip of the, of our pointy universe, at, at, you know, back by the, near the Big Bang, there, the forces, even the very forces of, of physics were different, but uh, it's easier to think of the fact that things have more or less been stable shortly after that. And that's why they come to the conclusions that they do. Now, it's reasonable. Um, we know that Hashem created the world with 10 utterances. Now, what's an utterance? An utterance is an intervention, a divine intervention. Just like Hashem said, Bereshis, and there was, there was time, there was space, there was matter, right? So too, when Hashem said, Yor, let there be light, and that made light. And so each one of those is a layering of reality. I mean, reality is a composite of many steps of, of divine intervention where the reality is changing with each one of them. We discussed back a few times ago, was it, was it just a change to get something to be here? Was it a change in the very, in the very fabric of, 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 uh, of, the, of the world, etc.? But, but certainly is Hashem is making fundamental changes over here. So, how can we then apply a ruler that, that, is, a, you, that is based on post-completion of the creation to the creative process? It's, uh, it's, again, it's like measuring the age of an adult person Assuming that they've been growing at the rate that they're growing now, it's, 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 it's just an incorrect uh, assumption. If you if you understand, there's been qualitative differences in the, in this development. 
Now, um, what makes us, and by the way, this doesn't just, and, and this doesn't just stop, this is a very important point, this doesn't just stop with the seven days of creation. For example, with the hate of Adam Rishon, the sin of the first man, Hazal tells us, that it caused a fundamental change in the entire fabric of the world. Again, with the flood, right, where, where, where Hashem destroyed the world, whatever that meant, but it was, it was massive changes, as very clearly evidenced from the people's lifespans. I mean, you see people's lifespan go down from approaching 1,000 years to being 120 years. Clearly, things changed. The Torah describes that from now on, there's going to be seasons. Right? There wasn't seasons until then. There's fundamental changes happening. So it means we're living in a very different world than, than, than what was. Okay, so... I want, to give, uh, I want to give you an analogy. The analogy would be that if, if you have, if, if one is watching movement and trying to write, let's say, a mathematical equation, that's why we need a Kirill over here, uh, to describe that movement, right? So let's say there is movement that is a three-dimensional movement, but you are only seeing a two-dimensional movement of that. How could that be? Let's, let's think of an example. I am juggling tennis balls. Yeah? You guys can't see my juggling of tennis balls because I'm actually behind you. Right? But there is a projector farther behind you that's sh shining a bright light at me and you're watching the shadow on the wall. So you're going to be seeing the movement of the shadow of those balls, but you're not going to be privy to the three-dimensional movement of it. You're just going to be seeing a two-dimensional projection of a three-dimensional movement, right? Which then, if you were to describe that movement, it might look very, very different than it actually is, right? I mean, you're missing a dimension of what's happening. So to a certain extent, science, by, by missing the dimension of, of, this, of this change, of this spiritual, of the change of the world, are, are using uh, the current world to understand a different world. Now, it's not to say that we can't use what they are observing, what they're finding for our benefit. These are very useful things to know. You can still, yes, follow the movement of some of the balls, especially if you... You know, if you knew, uh, if the person takes very careful notes of what they're seeing, the shadow movements on the wall, and then they re report back to you, and you know, you could certainly um, find that data useful, but uh, but not by itself. Okay. Um, now, where do we see such uh, so, uh, uh, things in the Torah? So we discussed rate of change. Um, being different, the, the Torah tells us that Adam and Chava conceived Cain and Hevel, 
And uh, yes, the Gemara helps us to see that that literally happened within one day. It, uh, the Gemara Sanhedrin says the two went up into the bed, and the next hour four came down from the bed. Right? So it means things worked very differently. Change is really, when we say time, we mean a measure of change. That's what time is. When I say to you, you know, this many years have gone by, what I'm saying is this much change has happened. But if, uh, if change could happen more rapidly back then, so then we would describe that as a whole lot of time passed. Now, looking back, right? we, we, we weren't there. Might say, oh, that must have been a lot of time. But the, the answer might be no. There wasn't a lot of time. There was just a whole lot of change. That within that one hour, two you know, there was conception and birth. And, uh, and the, the, you know, the next day, Cain killed Hevel, right? Uh, probably, next day, or but either way. they were born fully grown? No, but, uh, but, uh, that, but they were, but they grew very quickly, just like their gestation period was a very quick one, so was their development period. And we know that the, for example, the Ramchal writes in the Derech Hashem, that with the Tchiyas Amesim, the resurrection of the dead, that's exactly, that is going to be, you know, little, little tiny, I don't know, one cell or whatever organism, just going, and going to full uh, adult size, without any slowing down. A few seconds, whatever it takes, right? So that's, there's, that's uh, how it's going to be, and seemingly that's how it was back then. Okay, let's take an analogy. Maybe it's a lot more than that. And that is a quantum leap. Okay, what's a quantum leap? Is There's this incredible thing that they found recently that quantum particles can go through drastic changes. One simple one is movements in space. That are that are instantaneous for, across distances that cannot possibly be traversed. Okay, that's called a quantum leap. You watch that show? No, you're too young. Okay. What? Yeah, it's fun. Okay. Um, right. So, but uh, so a quantum leap is how does a quantum leap work? Again, they don't really know, but the thinking is you have a particle and Quantum particle means that it's not bound up with anything else in reality. There's nothing else in reality acting upon it, and it is not acting upon anything else. So it is, so to speak, free. Free to what? Free to leave the physical world. It pops out of existence and into, some, into a quantum state, into an undetermined state. And in that state, it's not determined where it is located. And then, when... It is summoned back into existence by something encountering it or engaging with it. It will pop up in a different location. And that is faster than the speed of light, which is, by the way, why Einstein had such um, problems with it. Because nothing can move faster than the speed of light, right? E equals mc squared, or something like that. Probability waves, whatever, however they want to describe it. 
But the point is, it is able to move from point A to point C without having to go through point B. Okay? Now, this only happens to very, very tiny things because they're not entangled with other things. Big things, because there's so many particles constantly bouncing around and engaging with one another, it can't happen. In other words, what we're saying is that if something is not fully chained down into physicality, it can move, it can change instantaneously in its uh, space, I mean location, in, the, in its spin, in its energy state. Change, I mean changes that should take a lot of time because it has to go through stages, intermediary stages, can happen without having to go through those changes. Those are called quantum leaps. And the reason why this is happening is because this particle is free to leave the confines, the chains of this world, of physicality. This is, uh, this is, so this is not Torah. I mean, maybe it's Torah, but... This is what this is modern day science as far as I'm concerned. As far as I understand, I should say. Meaning the more physical something is, means the more matter there is, the one piece of matter locks the other piece of matter into, into a state of um, um, physicality. And, uh, and um, it, is, it becomes embodied, embodied, inside of a body. Okay? Uh, let's take another example. If you, think about, if you think about a thought, how long does it take to change a thought? Instantaneous. Instant. What do you mean? But there's so many different... Yeah, I could change all of them. How long does it ch take to change something physical? Well, there's all, you can't change this until you do this, and you can't do that until you do this. And this is going to get in your way, right? Because all, the, all these things are, are, are uh, entangled with one another. So the more a concept is embodied, the more rigid its existence is, the more difficult it is to get it to change. And the more spiritual something is, the, the, less, the less embodiment, the less vessels that this light has to contain it, the more malleable it's going to be. Okay, now, we simply apply a very fundamental thing. We believe in the creation, right? Creation is what? There's a will of Hashem that's completely spiritual. Many stages... The, of descent, what's called hishtalshalus, downward progression of embodiment, stage after stage after stage of further and further embodiment <coughs> or infysicalization, however you'd like to call it, where the concept becomes more and more concretized. That is the process of creation, where it went from being the will of Hashem to becoming a physical world. 
So now, in this process, the more spiritual it is, the more free it is to bend and to change. And the more physical it becomes, the more locked and the more rigid and locked into physicality it becomes. You know, it's a, we, we, sometimes we think of ancient people as being very funny people. They were so superstitious, they all believed in, in spiritual things, in, 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 in magic, in, in uh, you know, idol worship. The, the Vilna Gon says it was all real. Avodazar worked. If you, if you tapped into certain powers, it did things. So what happened? The answer is we discussed this already, I think, here, right? That, uh, that the world that we live in is a much, much more concretized world than the world they lived in. There's, there's, we don't have prophecy, we don't have miracles, and we don't have idol worshiping. Uh, I mean, you still try, but it's not going to work, right? And, uh, and, uh, and there's not the Yitzhahara for Avodazara. And that's what we said, that's why Alexander bowed down to Shimon Tzaddik, because he understood that, that uh, Greece's ascent to Great Greece, the, the scientific, physical approach, uh, it took effect thanks to Nasegdola, who ended the Yitzhahara for Avodazar. So also it might explain if you look at ancient art, I mean it's very strange. I always found it so strange. It's like you look at ancient art until Greece comes along and it looks like a five-year-old kid drew it. Right? Like how, how can it be? I mean, like the Egyptians, they got like they're they're able to predict solar, you know, eclipses and things. They're like building these enormous pyramids that we still can't figure out how they did it. And then you ask the guy, hey, could you like draw me? He just look at me and just draw that. And like and, and they're drawing like as if like little children are drawing. What, what's going on? How come they like they, they, they can't if you look at ancient art, it was very symbolic. It was very abstract, it was almost cartoon-like. Because that's how they saw the world, perhaps. And only once the Greeks come along, where there's nothing but physicality, then you draw what you see. Literally. And now all of a sudden, you got, uh, you know, sculptures and, 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 and paintings, very realistic. What well, all of a sudden, the Greeks were like, just light years away from, from everybody else in our, I mean, it doesn't, it's not so hard to just look at what you're seeing and put it down onto a piece of paper. Uh, obviously not everyone's good at it, but some people are good at it, right? It's, it's, uh, so so that, that could, perhaps, perhaps that's, uh, that, that would be an explanation. There's a, a side point. Um, of course, once we're saying that the world is becoming more and more and more and more concretized, and as that's happening, change is slowing down, and there's some major drops, like we described, either in the seven days of creation, or with the hate of Adam Rishon, or with the flood, and other major events. But then there's also just an overall gradual uh, descent into physicality. So then it would explain why not only is the timeline off back way, way, way back then, but even in much more recent events, such as, let's say, the conquest of Yericho, Right, where now you know, we we dated back to being uh, 1,200 years uh, uh, before the you know, Mesopotamia was destroyed, or you know whatever it is, uh, about 3,200 years ago, and they say it's about 3,400 years ago. 
right? So it's off by a couple hundred years. The the, the leaving Mitzrayim, right? It's off by it's it's off. There's there's a timing doesn't exactly work out. The answer is because yeah, because things actually still were were changing quicker back then. Already not as quick as way way back, you know, before the flood, but still faster than what we're used to now. And that's why the times are not exactly lining up. Um, just to propose propose a theory, if I may, and I uh, know you've all been dying to find out why I have this whiteboard behind me and why uh, there is some sort of an equation up on top. Okay, so let me just explain the equation. Um, so PT would mean physical time. Right, again, back to our analogy, first of all, I'll give the analogy, back to our analogy with you guys sitting in front of a, of, a, of a wall in a dark room, there's a projector behind you, okay, and you're seeing the shadow of a ball that I'm moving, I'm behind you, okay, now, I am moving at the same rate, that's one thing we can, let's assume, I'm moving at the same rate, I'm moving from that corner of the room, back, left, towards the front right corner of the room. Okay? Kirill? If my rate, I know you listen, I'm asking you a question. If my rate of movement is the same, okay, but I'm getting closer and closer to the wall, farther and farther away from the projector in the back of the room, what's going to be happening to the rate of the movement of the shadow of the ball along the wall? Slowing down, very good. Shh. Okay. Yeah, does everybody understand that? Because as I'm far away, which means I'm close to the projector, every little bit that I move is going to be a huge swing along the wall. Right? If I'm standing by the projector and I just move my finger two inches in front of the projector, you're going to see the shadow go from one side of the room to the other. Right? But as I get progressively farther from the projector and closer to the wall, then the rate of, of, of my movement and the rate of the movement on the wall are going to approach to being the same. Okay, that's, that's what this equation is meant to represent up here. Okay, so physical time, that we're going to call meaning the movement on the wall. That's what, you know, nowadays we living in a physical world, right? If over there is spirituality, back by the back wall, right? And over here, this wall, when you land on the wall, when you hit face into the wall, you're in physical land, okay? So th that physical time over there, meaning rate of change, time is rate of change, equals experienced time, means the rate of the actual movement of the person with the ball, multiplied by 1 over m. m would be the materialization coefficient which can span from zero to one. Zero being completely not physical, and one being totally physical. Okay, so if the thing is completely non-material, zero over here, then this is an undefined number. You can't talk about time when the thing is not material at all. Okay, the moment M is some little tiny minuscule number, for every one of experience time, you're gonna have a enormously great 
perceived time or physical time. It means historically afterwards, when you're going to be looking at it, you're going to see a huge movement. Again, I'm very close to the projector. I'm moving my finger a tiny little bit. You see a huge movement along the wall. But as M approaches 1, then the experience time and the physical time become the same. Well, approach and ultimately when it's 1, they, they are the same. Okay? So, it means to say once the world is fully materialized, then there's no difference. Okay? Well, when the world is fully spiritual, there's huge, again, just bringing it back to the way we said it initially. This is just like a cute math equation to help us understand. But uh, it's, it's like we said initially, when the world was super spiritual, a tremendous amount of change could take place within a very short period of time. So a lot of change happened. The world kept getting more and more and more embodied more and more concretized and change happening less, uh, less and less, slow, more slowly, until finally we are at the bottom of the, of, of the, we're at the end of the game. We're in an extremely physical world and now we're looking back and we're saying, whoa, well, I'm assuming M to be one the entire time. So I'm seeing in, in a, a huge P, so it must have been a huge experience time. But we come along and we say, no, 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 you understand, this used to be you know, 0.0001. Right? We got all that change happening up there, again, oh, distracted. Right? All that change happening back when things were much more spiritual. Um, this would also potentially explain the arrow of time. Right? The reason why time moves in a particular direction is because we're becoming more and more, meaning you can't become, you can't work backwards. A physical thing, once it, once it descends further into physicality, cannot just pull back out. So it means the movement of time is the movement of concretization, of physical, when the thing becoming more physical. And we know that, uh, as I'll say, that the world is gonna be seemingly, they mean it literally, uh, around for 6,000 years. 2,000 years of Tohu, 2,000 years of Torah, and 2,000 years of coming of Mashiach. So far, the first two markers were extremely accurate. Um, Avram Avinu began teaching Torah in the year 2000. The uh, period of the Tanoim ended in the year 4000. So, potentially, in the year 6000, we will reach the rock bottom of physicality, and that'll be, you know, that's when the confetti comes in, like, comes down, and Mazel Tov. You, you did it, you completed the, the game. Um, this would also maybe explain the theory of relativity where we say that as something begins to move closer and closer to speeds of light, if we say that moving it really fast is a lowering of the M, meaning that the thing is less physical if it's moving that quickly, really physical things don't really move. If the thing is moving really fast, it's kind of, you know, I mean, again, nothing, nothing very physical can move any, anywhere close to that fast. Right? To move that fast, you have to either be light or something very close to it. Light doesn't experience time at all. Something that would be close to that theoretically, if it was very, very spiritual, you know, Malach Mechoel, he flies with one, with one swoop, he flies, right? Uh, uh, Gavriel takes two. 
takes some two flaps of the wings, right? So it's, it's a little bit lower. It takes longer to more steps to get that change going, right? So uh, so then so that's uh, so that, would, that would maybe explain why time slows down as you go faster. Because the point is you, you're 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 more spiritual. Um, so now maybe we can say instead of viewing the creation of the world as a jarring explosion, a big bang, it's actually a very nice, smooth, it just looks like a big bang because it's happening near the projector screen, right? the movement. It's a nice gradual movement, nice very peaceful creation of the world. Right? It just looks on the, over here on the, on the shadow of it, it looks like all of a sudden this whole thing popped into existence. Um, but actually, Hashem was creating it nice. And again, there's stepwise, there's big quantum moves that uh, will be difficult to uh, trace exactly. Um, and again, we can, we can, there's lots of other interesting things that we can spin off from this. And I am very sorry to say that we are not going to get to talk about dinosaurs today. This is this is literally up to dinosaurs. We're going to plan to talk about dinosaurs. Uh, I don't know. Maybe for maybe uh, we could talk about scheduling something. We have no time. You get to ask a no time question because it's a very spiritual one. If we're defining time as the amount of change, there's no way to tell whether one thousand years worth of change occurred within. 1,000 years or a day, maybe. A thousand years of change, there's no... Well, a thousand modern days years, right? A thousand... Uh, in where we are today, within physicality, it would take a thousand years to get that much change. A thousand years of a day, a thousand years. There's no way to, to observe any, any difference. I mean, a person's living in time observes time is... So this is a experience time. The Torah testifies to us. The Torah tells us. When people were around, this is how long it took. But if you're just trying to extrapolate backwards, so then you're using you you're you're extrapolating based on today. When you mean this is how long it took, it means this is how much time they experienced. Yeah. Then it's how they like as as we know, Adam Rishon lived nine hundred thirty years. Yeah. And then you know Chase lived as long as he did, and then and we just count, and it's been. 5,783 years. Scientifically, they've proven that at some point in, in Earth's history, a day was 17 hours, not 24. Okay. So like, if, if, like, I don't know how they went upstairs and they came down with children, so it was nine months that elapsed. No, nine months. Nine months. One hour. Yeah, but they experienced nine no, they months didn't. worth of change. That, what we mean, you mean to say you went like this? And then out, right? So yeah, what, what today would take nine months. They, they weren't sitting around for nine months up there. Right? It, the, it, the amount of, today it would take nine months, that back then took an hour. Uh, okay, just, I, I don't want to cut people, we're two minutes off from, over from Marv, what, what should we do? Robert? One last question. One last question, okay, one last question. So if he lived, if Adam lived 930 years, and, and that means like in that 930 years that he lived, he experienced like, a world of change. Of a world of change. Of what? Like a million years of experience, essentially. I don't know what we mean experience. A lot of change. A lot of change. He saw a lot of change. He saw a lot of change. You know, you know who else saw a lot of change? Is, you know, it's, uh, my, my grandparents saw a lot of change in their lives. It's, uh, yeah, they were, they were around before, before there was electricity. Okay. Fine.
Well, not where they were living. 